My name is Robert Crawford with Crawford's Canine Academy, and you are listening to The Other Side of the Leash. Thank you for joining us. So I had someone ask me today, what is my philosophy on dog training? Because it does differ amongst trainers. There's a common saying that if there are five trainers in a room, four of them can agree on one thing. The fifth guy has no idea what he's talking about. And while that is usually true, I don't really subscribe to that. I believe that all trainers, at least those that uh, have a good success rate, have something to offer. Um, I, I don't necessarily believe that everything a trainer does is wrong, even if they do it different than me. If they're getting good results and the dog is not harmed in the process, then I'll look at their their training methods and I'll evaluate them with my own. And if they're getting solid results consistently and those results are coming faster than mine, and the dog is not being harmed, and the owner is learning, then I will probably adopt what it is that they're utilizing for their training methods. For instance, I used to teach a sit method that was different than the traditional sit method where you raise your hand above the dog's head and you give the command to sit. At one point, my method was a little different because I learned from someone else. So. I would take my hand, hold it above their head, look over my hand and give them command to sit. And they would eventually look up into my eyes and sit back. And we thought that that would work a little bit faster. When in reality, raising your hand over their head works faster because they follow it up with their head and then their body falls backward and they sit down. So something like that, pretty simple. Um, But my philosophy on training is do no harm and train to the best of your ability. Now, what that means for me, the way the way that works out in practice, is I do not hit my dogs. I do not hit any dog. I don't believe it's necessary. Um, I, I, lots of trainers use something they call bonkers, where they take a towel and they wrap it up, and they put some rubber bands on it, and when the dog gets out of hand, they bonk it over the head. That's their method. I, I don't believe in that. I believe that the dog ends up becoming fearful or the reactive because you're doing that. So then... When someone has a towel in their hand or or, um, they have the newspaper that they've gotten off the ground and they're walking by the dog, the dog is going to flinch away. The dog's not going to want to be close to them because it's used to being hit over the head. Same thing with spray bottles. I don't believe in spray bottles. Now, I have used that in the past and I graduated past that many, many, many moons ago. Um, A lot of people will use spray bottles as a no. The problem is you're spraying your dog's face so... It's very annoying, and they're not actually learning what you mean when you say no. They're not actually learning what you you mean when you say to drop that or to leave it because you have one consistent thing as a discipline, and that's a spray bottle. I don't believe in using spray bottles. And also, that means when you have a drink in your hand that may look like a spray bottle, they're going to flinch away from you. I don't want my dogs to flinch away from me. I don't want an owner's dogs to flinch away from them. So I think the most reactive um, items that I use in training would be the prong collar, otherwise known as the pinch collar, and the e-collar, where a lot of people call the shock collar. These two are great items if they're used appropriately. Um, 
Um, if used inappropriately, they can cause some damage. However, the prong is not going to dig into the neck like you may see on the internet. That's that's just not true. You would have to ins- uh, exert a lot of force, and it would have to be a prong collar that is not your standard. So it would have to be one that is not curved. See, prong collars, and I think the best in the business is a Hermspringer. I really like Hermspringer prong collars. Um, I prefer ones that have a clasp on the front so that that way we can just slide it over their neck upside down then flip it when you get there and clasp it. But anybody, anybody that's ever worked with me or that I've worked with their dogs, uh, I talk about prong collars and I talk about e-collars a lot because while you know it's my dream that every dog, like if we lived in a utopia, every single dog would respond to praise or at the most treats. But that's just not the reality. There are some dogs who just don't understand leash pressure until you teach it to them. And you can use a flat collar and a leash all day. There are some dogs that will just choke themselves. And that's damaging the dog's throat. Uh, You're not teaching them anything. And I preach this all the time. Dog training is doing the same thing over and over and over again in the same manner. And trying to do so at the same time. It's repetition. So whenever you're teaching your dog to walk on a leash and you're using a flat collar and they're always pulling on it, that's what they're used to. And I hear a lot of people, well, you know, I don't like the prong collar because it chokes them. No, it does not. A prong collar is not designed to go around your throat or around a dog's throat. It's designed to go above their throat, just under their ears, right underneath their chin and their jaws. It is designed to be tight enough so that you can move it around, but it won't slip down. A prong collar is used to gently teach leash pressure and correction work. It's never to be yanked with force, ever. The most pressure that I ever have to put on a prong collar is with one finger pressing the leash behind me. That's that's all I ever have to do. Anything else is just unnecessary and cruel to the dog. Now, it's not going to kill the dog. It's not going to leave puncture marks. But you can hurt the neck by yanking on it just like you can with a flat collar. The difference is it's not going to damage the throat. Now, the proper use of the prong collar, again, um, is the proper, first you have to get the proper fit and it has to be in the proper position, but then you just hold the prong collar or you hold the lead to the prong collar in your hand and you allow the dog to walk away. And that's what it's going to do because that's why you have it on. The dog's going to walk to the end of the prong collar. It's going to feel it and it's going to come back to you. As soon as it starts coming back, you say, good boy, or yes, good job, and you praise it. You can even offer it a reward, and you can get a a recall out of that. And every time it does it, you say, good boy. Then, when when the dog is starting to get the idea, you can tell that he's starting to listen, go for a walk. And if he's starting to pull ahead, say, easy, and stretch the word out, and gently with one finger pull back on the prong. So what's gonna happen, or on the lead that's connected to the prong, what's gonna happen is he's gonna feel that pressure and he's gonna remember just a moment ago, whenever he went too far, he had to go backwards to get away from that pressure. And he's gonna fall back beside you. And that's teaching a proper heel with a prong collar in moments. Is the dog fixed? No, a dog's not gonna be fixed in moments. It's repetition, as I stated before. So what's gonna happen is eventually you're going to get to the point, now some dogs, that's it. That's all you need to do. But most, you will transition that prong to the flat collar. Uh, and there's a process that I do in my class 
um, that works really well to that so that that way you can transition the dog's understanding of the control that you have with a prone collar to that of a flat collar. So they know that even with the flat collar on, this is the type of action that you want. And then I transition that to off lead. Um, a lot of times I don't even need any collar. I use the prone collar and I can remove it and transition to a flat and then transition that to an off leash command because the same command was work and they know it. Anybody that ever sees me out with JB knows that a lot of times I'll say easy and he'll fall back to my side. Um, same thing with a e-collar. E-collars are very useful, very useful tools. Yes, you can put it on 99 and the dog will yelp. Now, it's not actually harming the dog. You're not going to electrocute the dog because it's not electricity. I take the e-collar and put it on its max and put it on my neck and hold it down to show people it's not going to hurt me. Uh, it makes your muscle tense up, yes, and you will see the dog react to it. But 99 is not, I've, I've never had to use 99 on a dog. The proper level is different for each dog. And the way that you do it, the way that you utilize it, that you begin with is on zero. You put it on the dog, you let them go about their normal activity. And then you put it on one and you tap it a couple of times. If the dog looks towards the e-collar on its neck, great. That's the working level. Normally, I get to seven or eight, sometimes 15, depending. I think the highest I've ever had to use on a dog to get there to, to them to even show me that they had a reaction to it was like 47 or 48. And that's pretty high for me. Now, is that the, the one level that you use it on the entire time in training? No, you have a working level. That's your working level. But then you have an excitement level. So just like you have different words for your children, when your child is walking calmly beside you, you can say, hey, stop for a minute, and they'll stop. But when your child's running on the playground, you can't say, hey, stop for a minute. They're going to listen to you because they're excited. Their mind is racing. They're not paying attention to you. They're not focused on you. So you have to raise your voice or come up with a snap or a clap or something to get their attention. So that's when we get them excited, the dog excited. We've already got their working level. We get the dog excited and we slowly go up until we can get their attention again. And then when we get their attention, that is their excitement level. Those are the two levels that we use. E-collars aren't necessarily used for correction. It's a common thought, but it's just not true. Um, you can use them for correction in certain situations. For instance, if a dog is biting the pacifier or pulling it out of a child's mouth, or if it's actually biting you and not trying to harm you, but you can use it for correction in those situations. And yes, you would use it on a higher stimulus. The dog would first need to know that it is a communication device. It would first have to understand the language of the e-collar or the prong collar. So those are the two most uh, adversive tools that I use in training. Uh, I do not put hands on. I, I don't use bonkers. I, I don't use spray bottles or or sticks or anything that's going to cause the dog to react in fear. In fact, when I use the prong collar, I like for the dog not to see me with my hand. I like my hand behind the dog's head where, on the leash where you can't see it. When I use the e-collar, I hide it behind my back or put it in my pocket because I don't want the dog to associate me pulling that controller out.
a case recently. In fact, that, that case is in my living room now with a, a pit bull puppy named Max. Really awesome dog. Just I've had the pleasure of uh, going out and training him for a little while. We worked on a lot of potty training stuff, but in his home, he just wasn't able to grasp the potty training that well. And we thought, you know, maybe it's because there's so many kids and there's so much activity going on and they weren't able to really give it the focus that it needed. So we decided to do some boarding train. And I took Max in. He's been here a week and a half. And normally potty training's easy. It's over with within a day or two in my home. Well, we've been struggling with that for a week and a half. And, you know, the traditional methods that I use are were just not working. So, and this this goes to my philosophy of dog training. So, the traditional methods were not used, that I used were not working, so we had to come up with something new. So, um, for the first time, I went and grabbed diapers for a dog because he was spotting just the cage. I mean, he wouldn't even let you know. It just all of a sudden, he'd spot. So, I put diapers on him to see if it's something he can't control. If it's something he can't control, then he'll do it in the diaper consistently anyway. And even though it may bother him that he does it, he can't stop it. But that's not the case. He decided, oh, I'm not going to potty because I have a diaper on me. So he started getting the, 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 the point of potty training outsides where I potty, which means he's known this all along. So then what we did is I removed the diaper and put a pair of shorts on him. That's it. Just the shorts. And they were over the diaper originally. So now he just has shorts on and he runs around and plays and has no problem. And here's what he's learned. He paws at the gate because he wants the shorts off so he can potty. So what we've done is we've t gave him a way to let us know, hey, I need to use the bathroom. And when he sniffs around, sometimes he'll reach back with his mouth towards the shorts. He doesn't grab them, but he acts like he wants to. I know then he needs to potty. So then we take him up, ring the bell with his paw, take him out to potty. And it's worked wonderfully. He, he has not had an accident um, since we've used this. So philosophy on dog training, you have a general philosophy, but your training methods continue to evolve. And the reason they evolve because every dog is different, just like every person is different. If you ask a teacher, hey, what's your philosophy on teaching children? Most likely, they're going to give you a generality. They can't give you specifics because every child is different. Um, they don't want to do any harm and they want the child to learn the best of their ability and to be able to that for that learning to be transferred to another teacher. See, when I was young and I was in school in fifth grade, I had a teacher named Mrs. Williams and she was an excellent teacher. The problem, the only issue she had, the problem was she was such a good teacher. You didn't want to learn from anybody else. <laughs> and you had kids literally failing the class in order to have her the next year. That's how great of a teacher she was. She was an older lady. She'd take you on rock tri uh, cave trips, caving trips, all kinds of stuff at no expense to the school or anyone else. She just did it herself. And she was, I mean, she was an excellent teacher. The problem is that didn't transfer. It was because it was her personality. So what I try to do, I can get your dog to do anything I want them to do generally because I have experience and that's what I do. I read the dog's body language. I read their facial expressions. I read the position of their mouth, uh, the position of their paws, right, left, they're the, whether they're facing outward or inward. I read their back, whether it's haunched or straight, their tail, the position it is. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that goes into dog psychology. That combined with knowing the general principles of training, that's what sets you up for success as a trainer. 
then here comes the kicker. You have to translate that as a language your handler or your owner will understand. That's where most trainers fail. If you don't have a good bedside manner and you can't communicate well with others, you're not going to do well in the dog world as far as dog training. You're just not. Um, A lot of people get into dog training because they think, oh, I love dogs and I've been able to train my dogs, so I'm just going to go train dogs. And they fail because they don't realize that one of the biggest aspects of dog training is dealing with people. I mean, you deal with the person before you ever see the dog. Then you deal with the person and the dog. Sometimes you deal with the dog alone and then you deal with the person again. So you deal with people more than you deal with dogs. And for someone who just likes dogs and doesn't want to be around people, it's not a great profession. So back to my philosophy on dog training, I believe the, the main point is, can you teach a person? Can you transfer what you have taught this dog and the learning this dog is willing to do with you? Can you transfer that excitement and that method over to the handler to where the handler can then control the dog? Can you, in that session, in that first session, have that dog sit down and stand in one session and then have the handler get them to do it as well? If you can do that, you can be successful. Um, That doesn't mean you'll know everything. You'll have to study. Uh, I mean, I have a case right now of a Doberman that just is severe reactivity and it's it's even deeper than we thought it was so he reacts and bites anytime you get close to his food unless you're um one of his pack in the house but anyone else if you like for instance a man if you get close to his food he's gonna bite and he doesn't mean anything like harm he's he's not trying to hurt people he's trying to back you up because he's possessive of his food so at first when working with this doberman he was just a little bit reactive he tried to bite me two times when i first visited and it was because i had a treat in my hand and i touched his face and i wasn't releasing the treat he didn't like that so he tried to snap at me twice obviously i got out of the way so the next time i threw a bite glove on and i allowed him to show his owner what I thought was there, which was serious reactivity. I don't want to call it aggression, but serious reactivity and possession. If it's aggressive, it's a possession aggression. So now that that's at the surface, we can deal with that. If I did not bring that out of that dog, his own, her owner would have never known that it was that deep seated, that it was there that deeply and her owner might have been like after a couple sessions okay great she's cured no matter what I say they wouldn't understand how deeply this dog has been affected so now that I've pulled that out not only does the owner get to see it I get to verify it for myself and the dog gets to get in touch with his true emotions so that now it's out there it's raw we can deal with it A lot of trainers want to bypass that. And in my philosophy, I feel like getting to the point is the most important aspect in dog training. Get to the point. Let's let's see what aggression, let's see what this dog can do. Whether it's good or it's bad, let's just go ahead and and do it. Um, There's another dog that I'm training now who uh, has bit two people, two men uh, around vehicles. And, um, you know, the, the thought process was, He's going to bite another man if he pulls up in the vehicle. So 
Uh, I put my video camera on, I pulled up, I opened the door, I jumped out with a bike glove, left my vehicle on, and started walking around to see if the dog was going to bite me. Because I wanted it raw. I wanted to see what this dog was going to do without knowing me. Is it going to come up and bite me? He didn't. So then I started working with the dog. He's a great dog. He has some reactivity issues. We're going to have to pull that out of him and find it. The owners are probably going to be surprised when they see that. However, if I don't find that and pull it out of them, then that's sitting there for the future and they can hurt somebody. And my job as a dog trainer isn't just to uh, take somebody's money and train their dog to sit and stay and tricks and and heal and, and, and do leash etiquette and all this stuff. My job as a dog trainer is to leave them with a dog that is going to be a joy for the rest of their life. And that's my passion. I, I want I want to save dogs. Uh, I don't want dogs to be thrown into the backyard, then put in the garage, then sent to a cousin or a neighbor or an uncle, and then sent to the pound, and then the dog's got reactivity issues because at some point it's been slapped around. Now the dog is reacting to anyone coming in. It's shying away from people, and it may be a breed that some people are already scared of, and they put the dog down of no fault of his own. That is faulty handling. So my goal is for people to be able to keep their dogs. And I believe that the value that you bring to the table, it's not just about, can I get your dog to sit and down? It's not just about, you know, bringing the aggression out of the dog so that the dog can be a good pet. It's also bringing something to the table that causes the owner to look and say, wow, I got a good value here. This guy under-promised and over-delivered. That's the goal of business in general, but that's the goal of dog training, in my opinion. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Other Side of the Leash. You can also find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Crawford's Canines. That's the letter K, the number nine, the letter S. You can also email me at Crawford's Canines at gmail.com.